This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. We're looking uh, this morning at verses 4 and 5. We'll begin reading in verse 3. Peter, as we saw, has, has, has written this letter to believers to encourage them uh, as to their hope in Christ Jesus, both for this life and the life that is to come. As we saw he started out by reminding us of our identity in Christ, who we are as exiles, yes, but those uh, chosen by the Father and redeemed by the Son and empowered and cleansed and purified by the Holy Spirit as he dwells within us. And then because of that, um, that we have been born again to a living hope. Ours is not just a, a naive, blind optimism, but a living hope because, of course, it is based on a living Savior. Well, let's begin uh, in verse 3, but as I said, our concentration this morning will be on verses 4 and 5. Hear the word of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask as we come to the Scriptures this morning that they would make us wise for salvation. We pray, O oh God, they would point us to Christ our Savior, uh, Lord, whether to believe in Him for the very first time or to continue living by faith in Him and growing stronger in him. Father, teach us, edify us, encourage us, feed us from your word this morning. We pray it in Christ's holy name. Amen. Okay, I'm man enough to admit it. I do like Jane Austen. I like the way she writes. I like the time period that she writes about and, in fact, herself lived in. I like how she's able to work words like amiable onto pretty much every page. But after you've read a few Jane Austen novels, certain themes will reappear. For example, the, the quest for a suitable marriage is always on the minds of young ladies, and related to that, of course, is uh, the inevitable dancing at the balls that occurs. Uh, another uh, feature that figures prominently in Jane Austen's novels, uh, perhaps above it all, is the theme of inheritance, theme of wealth or the lack of wealth. In fact, Austen's uh, arguably most famous novel, Pride and Prejudice, begins in its very first sentence 
by uh, mentioning these things. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. Romance, inheritance, right there in the very first sentence. Now, the inheritance, of course, is essential to their financial independence. Otherwise, all of these people would actually have to work for a living instead of socializing, dancing, engaging in romantic intrigue, and otherwise living the life of a Jane Austen novel. But, of course, Pride and Prejudice and its amiable sister novels are not the only books where inheritance features prominently. Long before Jane Austen put pen to paper, God had a great deal to say about inheritance in his book, about a magnificent inheritance, a vast inheritance that uh, far exceeds Mr. Darcy's 10,000 pounds a year. Now, our passage today speaks about this inheritance, and that's what we want to talk about Uh, Because it's important for us as Christians that we understand and that we anticipate, look forward to, the inheritance that is ours in Christ Jesus. As we look at these verses today, I want us to think about it under three headings. Uh, The first one is that the Christian has a promised inheritance. Now, for some Christians, that might be a surprise. Uh, maybe new believers or believers who haven't really read or studied the Bible much, uh, they might even think of the idea of an inheritance in connection with who they are in Christ. You know, we we don't tend to use that idea in evangelism, and, and perhaps rightly so. We do speak to people about eternal life. We speak to people about having their sins forgiven. We speak to people about being reconciled to God. Those things are true, and those things, of course, in in many ways are foremost. What could be more important for a person to understand than his alienation from God and the need for reconciliation between him, the sinner, uh, her, the sinner, and a holy God? But it is also true that, that, scripturally speaking, this idea of inheritance for God's people is is an important one and indeed a prominent one. It's a promised inheritance. And uh, we see that, of course, in the Old Testament, passage that Mike read earlier from Deuteronomy was such a passage. And uh, before we even talk about our inheritance, it's worth noting, and perhaps you caught it as as Mike read that passage earlier, that the, the scriptures speak of us, the people of God, as God's inheritance. For example, Uh, There in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 20, we read, The Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, you know, where they were in slavery, where they were oppressed, brought them out to be a people of his own inheritance, as you are this day. Maybe you never thought of yourself as being part of God's inheritance, what God himself considers to be his inheritance. What a a, uh, special position, what a privileged position place to be. And as we've spoken recently, uh, God describes his people as his treasured possession, purchased for himself by the blood of Christ. Uh, so before we even think about our receiving inheritance, we need to recognize that scripture speaks of, of us, of you and me, as, as God's people, as being his inheritance. But then in the very next verse, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, uh, Moses speaks of the people of God receiving an inheritance 
It's used of the inheritance in Canaan. Uh, in verse 21, uh, in many ways, a painful verse. If you're familiar with numbers, how Moses got in trouble when the Lord told him to speak to the rock to produce water, and he didn't. And he seemed to claim for himself the ability to provide it instead of giving glory to the Lord. He strikes the rock, and God graciously gives water. But he says to Moses, because you did not honor me, because you disobeyed me, you will not enter the land. You know, I I read that verse recently. I'm actually reading through Numbers, and it's very sobering. When you think how Moses, this one who walked so closely with the Lord, who wasn't just a prophet, but the Lord spoke to him face to face as with a friend, in one moment of anger, was barred from entering the promised land. Is he saved? Yes by the grace of God, but he lost that privilege of going with the people into the promised land whom he had led out of their slavery. So very sobering passage. But this is what uh, chapter 4, verse 21 says in Deuteronomy. Moses is speaking to the people. Again, Deuteronomy is just a, a series of sermons that Moses preached, getting the people ready now after their 40 years in the wilderness to go into the promised land. He says, furthermore, the Lord was angry with me because of you. And he swore that I should not cross the Jordan and that I should not enter the good land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. Later in Deuteronomy 4, uh, the same thing. Uh, We read in verse 38, how the Lord is driving out before you nations greater and mightier than yourselves to bring you in, to give you their land for an inheritance as it is this day. Know, therefore, and lay it in your heart that the Lord is God and heaven above and on the earth beneath there is no other. So twice, just in this one chapter, this idea of Canaan, the promised land, is brought out as their inheritance. Now, that that continues into the New Testament. And uh, there's a verse in Hebrews that I want to look at. It's Hebrews 9.15. Hebrews, of course, uh, does such a great job of tying the Old Testament and the New Testament together. It's showing how the old moves into the new and how the new is superior to the old. What we have in Christ is superior to what the people of God had in the Old Testament, uh, as awesome and staggering as some of those things might be, uh, the appearances of God at Sinai and so forth. What we have in Christ and with the Spirit given to us is superior. But this is, this is Hebrews 9.15. It speaks about Christ and says he's the mediator of the new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. So here in Hebrews, it speaks of this promised eternal inheritance that we who have trusted in Christ have. Now, any time a will is read, it's just always a little bit uh, dramatic. What, what is it going to say? What's in the will? What is the inheritance? Well, Scripture speaks to us about this inheritance that is ours. And um, we, we, as you survey the Bible, it speaks of any number of things. One uh, could be, of course, reward in heaven, reward for our faithfulness and service here. Think of uh, 1 Timothy 6, where it speaks of those who have means in this world uh, not to be proud, not to trust in them rather than God, but to use those things to do good works in the name of Christ. And the scriptures say, in that way you will store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. In other words, investing in that future reward that we will receive. Uh, the scriptures speak of the new heavens and the new earth. 
which is actually just carrying this promise of the land of Canaan in the Old Testament and making it even bigger. Remember what Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, not just the corner of the Mediterranean, but the earth. And then Peter later speaks of the, the renovated, the recreated new heavens and new earth where righteousness dwells as being the dwelling place of God's redeemed and resurrected people when our bodies are raised up, living in a glorified universe where sin is no longer in play, where the curse is no longer in effect. That is our inheritance. So the, the riches of, of heaven, the, the reward, the new heavens and the new earth. But we would have to say that ultimately our inheritance consists in the Lord himself. Just as we are, as Deuteronomy says, his inheritance, so the Lord himself and all of his riches and all of his blessings for us in Christ, ultimately the Lord himself is our inheritance. God, when we were created to know, we will know, apart from the hindrance of sin and our inconsistencies and our fallibility, all that goes with living in this world. One thing's for certain, it will be a magnificent inheritance. It will be far beyond anything that we can imagine, anything we can conceive. Simply to live in a world without sin, in relationships without sin itself, that alone, is something beyond what we can really conceive. We can sort of try to imagine it, but we're so used to it. It's hard to imagine what that would be like. But then everything else that goes along with that, and of course the relationship with the Lord himself. Earlier we read um, Psalm 16, uh, which is a one of my favorites. Um, you know, it's kind of like the seminary students who were given the assignment, uh, which would Psalms point to Christ? Uh, well, the answer, of course, is all of them. Um, which Psalm is my favorite? Well, Psalm 16 is, but so are all the rest. Uh, but Psalm 16 speaks of, of this inheritance. Uh, verse 1, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Uh, verses 5 and 6, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines, boundary lines, as the NIV had it where we read earlier, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. And then the end of the psalm, verse 11, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And I think this, this, is, what, this is what marks out the Christian, or at least the mature Christian is that, yes, we love all the blessings that we will have in Christ, but ultimately the joy of heaven will be God himself, that we love him, that he is our inheritance, that he is our reward, and we look forward to the joys of just being in his presence. And so we have this promised inheritance. We need to understand that. The scriptures promise and speak of this inheritance that is ours. But it's also a permanent inheritance. Uh, and we see this in verse specifically in verse 4 to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Three adjectives there describing this inheritance that we have. Now, we have to admit, any earthly inheritance is always a little bit precarious. There are all kinds of things that could diminish or even rob us of an earthly inheritance. For example, a crash in the economy. For example, uh, inflation, robbing the, the money of its value. Um, taxation, the government 
taking the money from you. I was reading last night the autobiography of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, just started it, got it for Christmas. And he talked about a window tax. He thought it a really strange thing that the government should tax sunlight, but they did. And apparently, in an effort to gauge the, um, the value of a home, they taxed based on the number of windows. And so the home of Spurgeon's grandfather, where he spent many years as a child, had some real windows, but it also had some that had been boarded up and painted to look like windows. Uh, and the room he spent much time in, his grandfather's library, they're soaking in the Puritans, their writings, uh, actually had been a sunlit room at one time, but was now a dark room because the window had been boarded over to reduce the amount of window tax that they had to pay. The effort, again, was to gauge the size of the house and therefore to approximate the wealth of the uh, the resident in the home. Uh, but, of course, uh, even back then, people were looking for loopholes and boarded up their windows and lived in darkness so they don't have to pay the tax on the sunlight. Uh, taxation. But when we talk about uh, the inheritance that we have in Christ, we're talking about one that is not subject to these things. Uh, Peter describes it as imperishable, that is not subject to death or to decay or to destruction. Uh, think of even, even the promised land in the Old Testament, Canaan, particularly in the people's sin, was subject to being ravaged by foreign armies. Uh, and we know ourselves, again, the precariousness of, of, of wealth and inheritance in this world. That's why Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, spoke in, in Matthew 6 uh, of this very thing. He said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus says, why would you work at storing up treasures here that can be so uh, in such a precarious position when you can store up treasures that are secure, that are imperishable, that will not uh, fade, that cannot be stolen, that are imperishable? There's another adjective that he uses here. That is undefiled. And the word has the idea of being protected from uncleanness, protected from moral impurity. Um, the inheritance in the Old Testament was often defiled by sin, by idolatry. Jeremiah, uh, in chapter 2, verse 7, put it this way. The Lord says to his people, I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good things. When you came in, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. Um, how different uh, the inheritance that is ours. Revelation twenty-one twenty-seven. Near the end of the Bible, speaks of it in this way. He says, nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So it is imperishable. It is undefiled. It is unfading. That is, it's protected from the ravages of time. Everything in this world fades. You know, we get, we get new stuff and we're excited about it, but in time it, it either breaks or it grows old or obsolete or we lose interest or whatever it might be. Even we ourselves, of course, are subject in this fallen world to this decay over time and ultimately loss. I was reminded of that last night. We watched again the movie Up. It's our movie. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. Delightful movie. Uh, in many ways, a, a bittersweet movie. 
especially when it shows a couple uh, and in a very uh, simple way living their life from from playing in childhood through uh, through their adult life uh, until life comes to a close in a very short time. Now, we don't live it that way, but when you see it presented that way, you recognize how fleeting this life really is. It doesn't necessarily go by in five minutes, but it does remind you that time moves on and uh, we, we fade as you see uh, Carl and Ellie Fredrickson go from being uh, children to being in old age and, and gray. So unfading. Even in Palestine, the prettiest lilies would eventually fade and die. And so this is a permanent inheritance. It's not subject to the kind of loss, the kind of uh, diminishing effects that, uh, that wealth and inheritance and, and treasures in this world are subject to. But it's also, in the third place, a protected inheritance. It itself is permanent, but it also can't be taken away. And this Peter dwells on in the end of verse 4 and into verse 5. He said, It is kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. <laughs> kept in heaven for you. Kept by whom? Passive. Voice, right? Passive. Kept by whom? Kept by the Lord himself. Our inheritance is reserved for us by God. He is the keeper of it. He is the guard of it. Another way you could translate it, guarded for us, kept for us by Almighty God himself. More secure than a Swiss bank account, God himself keeps our inheritance for us. And then verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. God is reliable. God is dependable. God can keep the inheritance. But I'm not. I'm variable. I waver. I go up and down. And so do you. You say, that's great. God's keeping the inheritance. But will I keep God? And verse 5 tells us that, yes, not only is the inheritance kept for us, but we are kept for it. By God's power, the same power that guards our inheritance keeps us, guards us. By God's power, nothing less, we are being kept, we are being guarded through our faith, God-given faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The inheritance is kept for us, but you, believer in Christ, are also kept for it until the day comes in the last time when Christ returns and that inheritance is revealed The Lord is keeping it for you, but he's also keeping you for it. So that if you are in Christ, it is absolutely certain that you will come into this magnificent, this glorious inheritance, the wealth of heaven, the new heavens and the new earth itself, and yes, the presence of God with all of its delights, all of its happiness, all of its delights and treasures. All for us, kept by the power of God in Christ Jesus. I don't know how many of you have ever read Pride and Prejudice, but did you ever wonder just how much 10,000 pounds a year is? Just how wealthy was Mr. Darcy in today's terms? It's not easy to calculate, one, because of the difference in time and the value of money then and the value of money now, and two, because you're going from pounds to dollars, which is always a fluid and fluctuating relationship. But there have been people, 
uh, who took time to try to figure that out, just what Mr. Darcy would be worth in today's terms. By the way, he was not the uh, the wealthiest character in a James Austin novel. In Mansfield Park, there's one who was wealthier, but certainly Mr. Darcy was, was wealthy with his 10,000 pounds a year. Well, if that were calculated into modern-day terms, uh, today it would be roughly around 339,000 pounds a year, or to put it in dollars, it would probably be somewhere north of $660,000 a year in income. Now, there, that sounds like a lot, and it is. Uh, but we say, well, yeah, we know of people, uh, if not personally, then uh, by reputation, who certainly make more than that in a year. Well, that's true. Uh, Jane Austen never claimed Darcy was the richest man on earth. He was just very wealthy. But it's also worth remembering that, that, uh, that more than half a million dollars a year was probably a few percentage points interest on his capital, he was living on the interest, and that's what they were referring to, the money they had coming in per year based on the fortune they inherited. Uh, so 10,000 pounds a year would be somewhere six hundred dollars to $700,000 in interest earned on his capital, on his, his money. The other thing we need to remember is that the cost of living was, was a lot lower then. No one was paying a, a bill to Georgia Power. No one was paying for internet connection or cell phone service or anything like that, air conditioning, uh, heat, all of that uh, was, was much simpler then, of course. So anyway, you count it, Mr. Darcy was a, uh, a, a very wealthy and a very comfortable man. The reality is that as believers, we have an inheritance that is far greater, that is far more magnificent, we are far more comfortable and far more secure than Mr. Darcy, certainly outside of Christ, could ever dream of being. He's in Christ and he has the same inheritance with us. But uh, we have an inheritance in Christ that is far greater than any earthly inheritance could ever be. And the question I have for you is, is that your inheritance? Have you trusted in Christ? Do you know for certain that you belong to him, that he is your God and that you are one of his people? Do you see the evidence of that in your life by love for him and a concern to repent of sin and to be obedient to his word because of who you are now in him? And if you have done that, then do you as a Christian live with conscious awareness of and a conscious anticipation of looking forward to the inheritance that is yours in Christ Jesus? Your friends, don't ever lose sight of the fact that we are heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ Jesus, that we are indeed children of the King. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for these verses. Thank you, Father, for all that you have for us, your children, an inheritance that no earthly inheritance could match. Father, give us the faith to see it, to look forward to it, and to live in light of it. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.